Welcome to the Mike Ricksecker Audio Journey on MikeRicksecker.com. Welcome to the Mike Ricksecker Audio Journey, of course, a feature here at MikeRicksecker.com, part of Haunted Road Media, which you can also visit at HauntedRoadMedia.com and the Haunted Road Media YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Haunted Road Media, brought to you by Haunted Road Roast. It helps you hunt ghosts. Um, Okay, that's me being a little silly, but no, seriously, there is a Haunted Road Roast coffee, so... All right, so what I wanted to cover today, because it is going to be a new Mike's Morning Mug video on the Haunted Road Media channel as of April 8th, is about urban legends, ghost stories, and those nuggets of truth that are within. And this is something that we deal with all the time when we are investigating the paranormal, when we're exploring a uh, site, some sort of location, what have you. Of course, it comes up all the time when like discussing something like Helltown, there's all kinds of crazy urban legends, and we're gonna get into a couple of specifics here, like Gore Orphanage, Skirvin Hotel, and, and things like that. Now, this may seem like a bit of a repeat information if you've watched the YouTube video, and yeah, some of it will be, but I wanted to kind of personalize it here for the podcast. So basically how I start off this video is with me talking about, I'll just read it here. (laughs) Most urban legends and ghost stories seem so unbelievable that they're immediately dismissed as untrue. Yet, there's something that nags you in the back of your mind that maybe it is. What is that? Is the legend or story really true? Well, And it is that nagging in the back of your mind that recognizes, you know, there is a piece of this story that's true. There's a lot of this stuff that's just utter bullcrap. And that unfortunately happens with many of these urban legends where it's just compounded and compounded and compounded with all kinds of stuff that's just not even true whatsoever. And I do reference the recent uh, truth behind the uh, Helltown legends because we get into some actual specific urban legends that exist and breaking them down. Now, there is a lot of truth behind Helltown as far as the the way people were kicked out of their homes, that the government actually seized the land. They used eminent domain to reclaim the land to basically make a national park out of it you know i don't believe that that's what they should have done maybe they could have done something like just uh said hey no more new building out here i don't think they needed to kick people out of their homes uh if you do buy into different conspiracy theories now of course there's conspiracy theories about underground bases and aliens all of this other stuff chemical spill what have you all of that is completely untrue but If there is some sort of government conspiracy that the government kicked people out of their homes more than just the reason of making it a national park, they say that many times the truth is hidden in plain sight. And just from walking through there, a couple things that I noticed were the gas pipeline that's run right through there, as well as a transcontinental cable. So if there is some sort of government conspiracy behind all of that, then maybe it's those. So... 
That's Helltown. Go check out the video again. Haunted Road Media YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Haunted Road Media. Please subscribe, of course. Um, what I wanted to get into today was uh, with Gora Orphanage, because I think this is really, really a prime example of urban legend telling at, I guess, its finest, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Um, you know, the, the urban legend, and it, it's difficult when you have modern pop culture exacerbating these different urban legends. So with Helltown, there's a, you know, Destination America documentary or mock documentary or fake doc, whatever you want to call it, because they used a bunch of actors to portray as if this was a real documentary. And it wasn't that at all, which is, is really confused the situation there. Because uh, now you have a bunch of people, unfortunately, young, impressionable people watching this stuff and believing, well, this is a documentary on it, it must be true, when it's not at all. It's just a bunch of actors, and they're portraying the story and exacerbating the urban legends. This is not true. So you have problems like that. Uh, this, the show Supernatural covered Gore Orphanage. I didn't actually watch that episode, but from everything that I've heard about it, they did go down the... Uh, the urban legends of Gore Orphanage of like old man Gore running this uh, running this orphanage there near Vermilion, Ohio, that he was uh, extremely mean toward the children, that he would lock them away in their rooms at night, which is how they all ended up getting killed in a fire because they were all locked in their rooms and the uh, the orphanage burnt to the ground, old man Gore escaped, but then you had all these, uh, all these dead children. And now people see burning children in the woods as like ghosts and, and what have you. That's the urban legend and apparently supernatural exacerbated that. I can't say none of that is true. There are little nuggets of true information within that story. So what the story is, now first of all, there was no Gore Orphanage ever. There is a Gore Orphanage Road, and this is where it confuses people. So yes, there's a Gore Orphanage Road, even though there was never a Gore Orphanage. So how did that come about? Well, let's take a look at the history. Originally, it was just named Gore Road. And it was not named Gore Road after Old Man Gore. There was nobody named Gore that lived there, that it was named after, or anything like that. A gore is a wedge-shaped piece of land to make a map correction. And it was along this stretch of, uh, of road where this map correction was made. So they called it Gore Road. There wasn't much along that road at that time anyway. It was just a means to get you know, through the county. And through that, uh, through that valley where the Vermilion River is and all that. So they called it Gore Road. Well, years later, when the orphanage came into existence, and it was the Light of Hope Orphanage, not the Gore Orphanage, the Light of Hope Orphanage. When that came into existence, they simply appended the word orphanage onto Gore. And the reason why they did this is that Many people who had lived in the area for decades or their entire lives already knew this as Gore Road. Other people in the area looking for the orphanage would see, oh, this is, this is the road that the orphanage is on. 
So instead of just renaming it to Orphanage Road or just leaving it Gore Road so that people looking for the orphanage wouldn't know where to find it. Remember, we didn't have GPS or, you know, anything like that back then. You know, you had to, you know, either use a map or ask somebody for directions. Um, it, it was a way for people to know where these different things were at. So they, they just didn't, made it Gore Orphanage Road. Boom. Two different things on the same name. So like I said, it was the Light of Hope Orphanage, not Gore Orphanage. The house that's in question that everybody thinks is the quote-unquote Gore Orphanage was never used by the orphanage. So when the orphanage came into existence, they were up the hill from this house. And they used some different farmhouses. There was a, uh, a building there that they used as a church and sometimes a school because there wasn't a lot of learning on this uh on this particular orphanage and farm the orphanage did own that land that the the house sat upon it but they used it for the field that was down there not for the house the house at the time was abandoned when the orphanage came into existence it had been abandoned for like a good six years so what was the house well, the house was a Greek revival structure known as the Swift Mansion. Joseph Swift, in the mid-1800s, had this house built. He was making a bunch of money in the railroad industry. Lived there for a number of years until, uh, it, it's kind of hard to believe, but yeah, there were people that lost money in the railroad industry during that time, and he actually did. There were a lot of things he could have invested in. Uh, as far as the railroad goes, he invested in the wrong one. It went bankrupt. He lost his money. He was out of the house. So the Wilbur family bought the house, and lived there. They were the last family to have lived there, only living there until it was about 1897 when they finally moved out, which, like I said, was about six years before the orphanage moved into the area. So the Wilbur family did have a tragedy associated with children. Now, these were the grandparents of the children that lived at this house. There were four children that died within the span of seven days of diphtheria. This was the late 1800s. Very, very tragic. Like I said, the children were the grandchildren, so they didn't live at the house, although they visited there quite often. And the Wilbers were spiritualists, so there, there is a little bit of supernatural spiritual play here. The Wilbers reportedly held seances within the house to try to contact the deceased children. Now, the the grandmother, she she lost it. She was doing things like setting the table for the grandchildren and, and things like that. Um, and you can imagine you're losing four of them within seven days like that. Somebody's going to snap, and she did. Um, there's no confirmation that they were a, ever able to contact the deceased children, but they attempted these seances many times within this house. So that's part of the story that is true. Now, that that story doesn't really play into the whole Gore Orphanage story um, other than children dying associated with the house. So like I said, the Wilbers vacated the premises in 1897. Nobody else moved in after that. Six years later, the Light of Hope Orphanage moved into the area up the hill, and they ended up purchasing the land to use the field beyond it. Now, the kids from the orphanage would come up and down the hill with their carts, work the land, all that. Yes, I imagine they visited the Swift Mansion house. I imagine they played in there, had a great time goofing off, what have you. 
but they never lived in it. It was never used as a dormitory. It just, it was not a building that the orphanage used for kids to stay in. Not ever. Now, what is true about the Light of Hope Orphanage is that the Sprungers, who ran the orphanage, were very mean. They originally came from Indiana, and they ended up uh, creating this orphanage in Ohio, much the same as what they had in Indiana. So they ran this orphanage in Indiana, moved out to Ohio. From all accounts, because there were children that ran away, and they reported the activities of the Sprunger, and there were actual legal trials regarding the conditions of the orphanage. And so they talked about, you know, kids that were malnourished, they weren't getting fed very well, they were receiving very, very little schooling at all. Uh, There was actually one kid, if you can imagine this, ran away so he could go get some learning. He, He didn't like the fact that he wasn't being taught anything and he wanted to go to school. There were uh, reports of children getting bit by rats at night that they would kind of nibble on them. Uh, there were you know, 15 kids using one thing of bath water. So you know, all kinds of horrific conditions going on at this orphanage. And there were people that work at the orphanage that came as witnesses and said, yeah, these, these different things were going on, like the cook, uh, the woman who would come in and try to do some teaching from time to time. Uh, so there were a lot of nasty things that did happen at this orphanage. And so these trials happened around uh, 1909. Um, and keep that date in mind. So uh, Mr. Sprunger uh, died not long after the trials, and the orphanage actually closed down in 1916. So it was only around there for about 13 years. Again, this entire time, that Swift Mansion down at the bottom of the hill that everybody calls the Gore Orphanage was completely abandoned. Now, seven years later, in 1923, there were some talks about possibly restoring the Swift Mansion. You know, it was a very nice Greek revival structure, and in fact, the current Vermilion Library is modeled after that structure to to pay homage to it. Um, But what happened, now, this is where part of the... uh, the urban legend is correct in that that structure burned down from a fire. And in fact, the headlines from the newspapers at that time were about the local haunted house being destroyed by a fire. So there were already rumors of it being haunted at that time. What would be pretty cool is if we could find some local ghost stories that were told at that time of the house and and see what people were saying at that time. I haven't been able to dig any up like that. That would be very, very cool. So that structure did burn down in 1923 from a fire. There were no children inside. Nobody died. Nothing. It was there on its own. Some people think that it may have been an arson fire, that maybe somebody didn't want it restored, and it was burnt to the ground. Others say that it was just some kids out there playing around and accidentally set the thing on fire. Either one could entirely be true. We don't know, but it did burn down. So that fire being superimposed onto the orphanage burning down, you could certainly see that. As far as all the children dying within the fire, remember I said keep the the date 1909 uh, in your mind because in 1908, the Collinwood Fire in the Cleveland area, only you know about 30 miles away, 
did suffer the loss of about 172 children, which is absolutely tragic. You know, they they were, in a sense, locked into the school. They were, you know, back then, fire regulations and what have you were very, very scant. The building was, I mean, you can't even say it was up to code because it wasn't really a code back then. Um, but it was essentially a fire trap. And so all these kids perished inside because they couldn't get out. And that was around the same time as the Sprungers were going through their trial with the orphanage. Now you say, well, there's a difference there of 1908, 1909. You got to think of news at that time. It all came through the newspaper or word of mouth. You know, it's not like today where, you know, we're getting news up to the second on the internet. And so you can easily discern something that happened from one year to the next. Back then, because of how spread out the news came and how slow it worked its way through, that a lot of these times, at least in a person's mind, became enmeshed with each other. So you can see how these different aspects of the story all came into play. You know, old man gore, mean old man gore. Well, that was the Sprungers. The... Uh, the fire burning the place down. Well, that particular building, not the orphanage itself, but that particular building, the Swift Mansion, did burn to the ground. All the children dying in a fire. Well, not too far down the road, there were a bunch of children who died in a fire. So all these different factors came in together to create this urban legend that now exists. So you can see the different nuggets of information, and that's uh, something that I really, really enjoy about what we do is digging deep into those different urban legends. Uh, the other one I wanted to mention real quick as an example is uh, Effie, the chambermaid from the Skirvin Hotel. Um, she supposedly scared the New York Knicks out of their room in 2010. They all huddled up in another room together. Uh, is some of the different uh, particular players, and they blamed their loss the following night uh, to the Oklahoma City Thunder on the ghost of Effie the chambermaid. Now, Effie was supposed to be this uh, chambermaid who had an affair with uh, the original proprietor, W.B. Skirvin. They had a love child together. Of course, he didn't want the public to know about her and this child, so he kind of stashed them away in an upstairs penthouse on the top floor where because she was locked away like that, she uh, Effie grew very, very despondent and one day grabbed the baby and jumped out of the uh, top story window to their deaths. Well, the problem with the story, of course, there is no record of an Effie having ever existed at the Skirvin Hotel. Uh, there's no record of any woman having jumped out of uh, the Skirvin Hotel to her death, let alone a woman with a baby uh, going out the window to their deaths. Nothing like that. So where did this story come from? So going through the history of the hotel, and I did this for Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma, the book that I uh, published about, what was that, eight or nine years ago now? Um, A lot of interesting history about the hotel. There were a number of deaths within the hotel. There were some suicides there, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Um, You know, it's an old hotel. One of the stories was of a man, a salesman from Dallas, who jumped out of one of the windows of the hotel to his death. It was a suicide. Now, at the time, it was not the top story of the hotel, 
but just a couple years beforehand, and this happened in the 1930s, just a couple years beforehand, it was the top story of the hotel. And so if you follow along the construction of the Skirvin Hotel over the decades and where different things were and, and how things were placed, um, you can see somebody saying, well, that guy, that salesman from Dallas jumped out of, you know, what had been the, the top story window of the hotel. Or if somebody said, I think it was the, uh, the 12th floor. If somebody said, well, you know, it jumped out of the 12th floor of the uh, Skirvin Hotel and didn't know it was now 14 floors. Um, and, and, you know, somebody hearing the story didn't know that there had been those renovations. You know, they would automatically hit their mind. Well, Skirvin has 12 stories, so he jumped out of the top story of the hotel. And you see how that happens. But that was a guy. Where's a woman come into play? Well, a few years later, there was a woman who attempted to jump out of a window of the hotel, not the top story or what had been the top story or anything like that, but a window of the hotel. Now, a security guard came to her rescue, stopped her before she jumped out, was, I guess, able to grab her and haul her back in, is, uh, was the story in the paper. And she was charged $11 for drunkenness. Like I said, it was 1930, so $11 was a little bit more back then. So, that could possibly be the connection to a woman jumping out of the window. But where's the baby come into play? And what about this chambermaid business? Well, I think this is where the history gets mixed in with the ghost stories. So there are reports there at the Skirvin Hotel of a chambermaid appearing in people's bedrooms, a ghost of a chambermaid appearing in, in people's rooms. There's also the phantom sounds of a maid's cart going up and down the hallway. So people will hear the maid's cart, think she's coming down the hall, but there's nobody actually there. There's one particular man who actually reported that he was taking a shower and a chambermaid appeared in the shower with him. I have no idea if that's really true, but that was his report. And then people have reported hearing the cries of a baby upon the air up and down the hallways when there's no baby on the floor. So it's this legend is kind of meshing those reports, those different ghost stories with the actual history of somebody jumping out of the what had been the top story window of the hotel. And the legend Effie comes about. No idea where they got the word or I'm sorry, the name Effie. Don't know where where the name came from, but chambermaid, baby, those are the ghosts apparently being combined with the fact that somebody jumped out of the hotel and you've had, you know, really decades, you know, you're talking like since the 1930s for this to incubate. And there were several years in there where the Skirvin Hotel was not being used at all. It was shut down. So over the years, you've, you've had this incubation time for these different facts to kind of, uh, to kind of cohesively come together and get distorted into their own story. But again, if you go back into the history of the hotel, you can find the different little nuggets and pieces of information that basically become the urban legend. So why does this happen? Why, why do these stories come about? Well, we like to tell stories and, you know, we like to sit around the campfire and roast marshmallows and try to spook each other. Or maybe you try to spook, uh, you know, younger brother or sister when you're, you're a little bit younger, you know, it, it happens. 
when we tell the stories like that in those situations, we like to embellish a little bit and we like to add our own little twist to it or maybe we like to make it spooky or you know whatever it is you know you even get that like whole operator game going that you know we played as kids how you know the story starts off as one thing and by the time you get to the end it's totally different whether it's that people are mishearing each other or they didn't quite understand a piece of information, or there is somebody along the line that tries to embellish it a little bit and and add a little of a a different flavor to it. But you can always guarantee that there is a little bit of information in there that's still true. Because the story itself could not exist without that nugget of information still being there. So even though all these other details are completely inaccurate, There's always that little nugget of truth in there somewhere for you to dig down and discover what it is that really happened. Makes it a lot more challenging, a lot more difficult to discover that truth. But, you know, as a researcher or somebody that's interested in these different legends and and trying to find out the the real truth and, and digging into those mysteries, maybe that makes it a little bit more fun to, you know, dig into that. So when you hear an urban legend or a ghost story that seems completely fantastic, don't completely disregard it because there is going to be that little nugget of truth in there that's actually real. So just dive into the research and discover what that really is. So that's really what I have for you for uh, urban legends here. Again, you can watch that video up on the Hunter Road Media YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Hunter Road Media. It's going up as a Mike's Morning Mug video. You can consider this your Mike's Morning Mug podcast here on the Mike Ricksecker audio journey. Uh, of course, whatever uh, podcast platform you're listening to this right now on, if there's like some sort of star rating or something like that associated with it, please go ahead and and click that and rate it and, you know, hope you give us good rating, of course. Um, And of course, you know, follow us on whatever platform that is, all those different things, you know, help us to continue to do what we are doing here. So I'm Mike Ricksecker. Till next time. 